0: Got saved in this fellowship. Uh, we're going to read from that text. And uh, if you're there um, and you're paying attention this, this evening, you can say amen for me. Joel 2, verse 25. It is a part of the Old Testament, it is uh, something that Peter would actually quote. In the Bible, when we had the first great revival, uh, Peter would would quote from the book of Joel. And uh, praise God, we have one person on there and has found Joel, 225, amen, amen. We're, We're searching, praise God. And I wanted to just talk about this because throughout the Old Testament, The book of Joel is uh, a reference to the working of God in the New Testament. So one of the reasons that I began to read it over and over again was because it became crystal clear to me that God had shown us something in the book of Joel. It characterized the spirit of God. And it characterizes the spirit of the covenant that God has created through Jesus Christ. And it very, very vividly the working of God's grace and the power of His Spirit over our lives. And I was always intrigued by it because in the book of Joel, as I stated earlier, Peter, when he quoted this book, it was a mighty move of God that occurred. And so, we're going to read Joel 2, verse 25, and we're going to talk about something that I think is going to help us says in the word of God, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. Let's pray. Lord, Father, God, we need your consuming fire to completely restore us from our sins tonight. We need you, Lord, to do a mighty work and bring revival into our hearts and give us divine restoration in this place. We give you all the praise and the glory and we ask that not one word fall to the ground, but that we receive it and that it become knit and sealed in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ everyone said, Amen. See, there's something significant about what the Bible calls prophetic books. Because prophetic books are always linked to the last days. They're always linked to the great promise of God and the great promise of revival. Many of you may have noticed that recently I have emphasized the idea that the faithful are those who remain. See, faithful people aren't just people who believe. There are a lot of people who believe. But there are not a lot who remain. And this is even true in this book. As God described a great army which he sent. That would devour. And devour in different ways. Devour by swarming. Devour by crawling. Devour by consuming. And even devour by chewing. This is a very, very important message for us to hear. That God is sending something first to devour so that he can restore. Now you've got to think, is God schizophrenic? Is that what's going on in this story? Or is there a difference between human restoration and divine restoration? I think it's the latter. Consider the general outline for a moment. There is impending destruction and judgment which will come upon God's people. The impassioned plea by God for repentance and sanctification. That means clean up your lives and change the promise of God to then restore and the outpouring of God upon his people through spirit. God is going to spiritually pour out himself upon the people. And it's very, very important that we look at this and see the gloriousness of it, the light of it, the promise of it, that there's salvation and there's redemption, and it is the work of God that restores us. See, the definition of to restore Means to put back in a former state, to reestablish, to reinstate. Trump got a hold of this when he used the catchphrase, make America great again. things that he's doing wrong. They put on that hat in defiance to say, I want you to know something. I want things restored. I want them restored to the right way. I'm not going to preach a sermon telling you that Jesus Christ is going to come back with a magnet. But I want to tell you that it's important that we become fully ready, and that we put things in full order, especially when things are broken. See, when something is broken, it needs to be repaired. It needs to be refurbished. I remember growing up in a trailer park, and I can remember vividly seeing people who had things that never got restored. You know, I can remember cars that were on cinder blocks for 10 And we had a lady named Ada. We used to call her Ada Potato. And she would drive by and she would honk at the guy and say, you need to get that fixed. Because it needed to be destroyed or restored. It needed to be devoured or restored. And that's what God is telling us in this scripture. There is something that needs to happen. Because restoration is not just something that uh, can be completed without restitution. See, you know, if you drive a car a certain way and you destroy it, it costs money to get it to work again. I know that because I never had a former and better state I like that because I can't just I don't I need more than And this thief and this deceiver is doing things towards others that God wants to restore. That's where the the warning from God comes from. That's why God sent locusts. He could have just restored things. But someone needed to be devoured. Something needed to be changed. And that's the same story in our own lives. We need (laughs) restoration. We saw on the news, many of you maybe heard about this, you know, the the burning of Notre Dame. And I love reading the articles. I read some of the articles about why they didn't have sprinklers. Why they didn't do certain things. And I gotta be honest, I thought to myself, wow, that's classic. They were making millions of dollars. Just like Christians, they get blessed and they get blessed, but they don't do any of the restoring. And so when things go bad, behind the scenes, the Notre Dame is one of the most beautiful places in the world. But behind the scenes, it had need for restoration. Things don't just burn like that that are taken care of. going to name any names, but they would say things like, don't say that about yourself, Wes. Just do better. Don't worry, we just want the best for you, honey. And I could say, no. And God would confirm that in my soul. No, Wes, you need to change. And you need things to be restored. And if I tell you to pay something back, you better my friends and my loved ones. Oh yeah, I'm the best now. Because that's a great mistake. That's the deceit of sin. That when it's done, you simply pick up your life and you move on. That's not how it works. Especially if you fail to realize the years and the opportunities that you have wasted Events and the experience that have ravished your soul and have changed your spirit. There's a reason. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. It takes a toll. And there's a price, price that's paid by us. You know, in King David, was turned into the drought of summer. It had an effect, and God was placing that effect on him for a reason. Later, it would say, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make my, make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice." He's broken hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities he is acknowledging create in me a clean heart O oh God and renew a steadfast spirit within me we sing that song in our services do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation And uphold me by your generous spirit. That I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That doesn't sound like someone who is hiding sin. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God does not despise honest hearts. See, David's desire wasn't just to be restored to his God, but to be restored of his soul. He knew he could never undo what he did. His sin and what was released by his sin, he knew he couldn't take it back. And he knew who the adversary was. And the adversary is here, he's real. He's through things like deception and fraud. He rips people off, he steals things, he plunders lives, denying people of their blessings and the resources that God has for his people. God has resources for you. You know, oftentimes we have to answer the great questions of our lives and refer to them. What about my future? What about my failures have offended you, O Lord? We have to be thankful for forgiveness, but what of that which has been lost and ruined? though there's no instant place, you can literally undo the past. There is a future to that. All is not lost. It's not in vain. It's not left to just language. One of the things that amazed me about Notre Dame and his story was when the firemen came out because there were crowds of people just watching the fire in the it was it was amazing, and the fireman came out and he said. of God and and of his work. Ruth. It's a beautiful story of redemption. It's focused on Ruth. She's not even a Jew. But also, it talks about a woman named Naomi. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous. In Israel, verse 15, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. She had horrible sons. I don't know if you caught that part of the story. Ruth had horrible sons that left her penniless and without hope. And it was... I'm sorry, Naomi had horrible sons that left her penniless and without hope, And it was Ruth who had to step up and say, you know what? I'm better than seven sons because I am going to be faithful to your God, the one you brought to me, even though all these mistakes have been made. See, that's the attitude that God responds to. Psalms 23, he restores my soul. He's a great shepherd. David, with the broken heart that I spoke of, and the spirit, because why did that spirit occur? Because of sin. It began to even affect his health. Jeremiah. God is in his judgment chastening his people because of their sin. And it's the promise that he gives to Jeremiah to restore health. He's healing wounds. Sin causes things to go awry. We all know this. We all know this. And this prophetic divine dimension of our ministry cannot just be put to the side. When you meet people, they need restoration. And it comes... Because they understand what God sent among them and what God sent among you. Many of you know that when I tell my testimony, one of the key elements of my testimony was that I was on a street corner and I had no home. I had nothing left. I wasn't born that way. I was born with great provision. Some of you maybe didn't have that experience, but I guarantee you one thing, there was a time where God gave you an opportunity. We live in the greatest country in the world. The truth is that the promise of God is personal. But there's also a corporate dimension to it. And I want to think about that. See, the heart of ministry can be summed up in this phrase. That you're seeking God to cause a work. You're seeking God in your life to cause something to happen. Maybe you want your kids to pay attention in school. Of your family to be taken away. Maybe you want to help build a church. Maybe you care about this community that we live in. Maybe there's families that were here when you first got saved and now they're not here anymore. backsliding to come back home. But see, all of us need to seek God because He will cause the work. We need to seek God so that God will cause something to work. Isaiah 58, 12 says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. Those among you, from among us here, the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You will go back to the truth. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell. In. People need places to go. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got in my entire life was when someone told me you can create something, less that people will come to. That God will bless, and people will see it, and they will come. And I've seen that in my life. You know, a few years ago, before this tragedy in Notre Dame, there was another crazy event that occurred. This was over 30 years ago, I believe. A man rushed into the Museum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting called Night Watch. He took out a knife and he slashed it repeatedly before he could be stopped. A short time later, a distraught and hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture called the Pieta. These were two cherished works of art and they were severely damaged. But what do you think the officials did? Do you think they threw them out and just forgot about them? Absolutely not. Just like my parents shouldn't say, oh, it's okay, honey, that they've been living in sin for 35 years. God bless you. It's okay now. Just like your parents shouldn't be like, it's okay, honey, that you've been completely disrespectful to us for three years. Since you were 14. It's fine. You're 17 now. Everything's okay. No. That's not what happens. And that's not what happened here. What they did, what they did, was they took the best experts in the world, and they worked with the utmost care and precision, and they made every effort to restore those treasures. That's what they did. Galatians chapter 6 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken and then he trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also tempted. I'm not preaching to you tonight to come down upon you as sinners. I'm preaching to you tonight to tell you that God will gently walk you to the cross. He'll take you to where it all began and ended. The cross of Jesus Christ. And that there are principles of restitution. There are laws of restitution. Many of you probably don't want, you wonder to yourself, what does a judge do when he comes up with an idea of restitution? I've heard guys, they're criminals. They get saved. They are allowed not to live in jail, even though they're criminals. And they're upset at the amount of restitution they're supposed to pay. 27 drunken driving convictions and I just kept on driving. Really? Let's do the math. So deceit, that means lying or beating someone up. is restored plus 20% interest. God believed in negative interest. Yeah. <coughs> so the Bible says, Proverbs 6.31, you don't even want to read that, it says restore seven times. Think about Egypt. The spoils of Egypt In the Bible, Exodus, right? We have this awesome story where the Jewish people are restored and he gives all the stuff that the Egyptians have to the Jewish people. That was restoration for years of bondage. God had helped Egypt. God had blessed Egypt with Joseph. They were about to go to a famine. Their pharaoh was was sleeping and they couldn't sleep because he was having nightmares of fat and skinny cows. He was like my little Wesley, waking up with monsters. Whoever did all that during Halloween, I don't forgive you. You're probably gonna have another kid. It's gonna torture you. the truth is that we have to look at this. The the Bible in in the New Testament, just in case you think it's an Old Testament thing, in the book of Luke it says the avenging and they're talking about God. It's more than the uh, issue in Luke 18 of just the importance and the opportunity of prayer. In verse 7 it says, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry night and day, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. The prince of this world, who I'm talking about right now, and who God is talking about in this scripture, is going to pay a price. Because he's a thief, and he has been judged by God. This is why you don't want to be on his team. This is why you don't want to be someone who supports his causes. things, like um, abortion or fornication. Because these are offensive to God. And they steal things. That's someone's daughter who's getting fornicated against. That's God's daughter. And God And the avenges. And the truth is, we want restoration. But it can't be a matter of personal convenience. Can it? The glory and the grace of God is because of his power and his presence. And his power comes from righteousness and truth. And true love. God never forgets about these people who have suffered at the hands of the demons, ever. It says in the Bible at the end, he will sit there and everyone will be silent as he mourns those who are lost. Think about that. Think about God's love for his church And he wants to restore us. He wants to restore this in our lives. But it takes the fire of God. It takes a devouring fire, a holy ghost fire, a holy vision on your part to say, God, you come into me. You change me. You make me different than the way that I am. See, the realization is foundational to repentance because repentance is the predecessor to restoration. You must repent. If you're lying, you must repent. If you're a thief, you must repent. What the thief has stolen, that is what restoration is. Because there is a righteous judge, and he will hear every cause. Because who else will avenge them? The man who gives restoration is the one who will avenge them. And that is why Jesus Christ will come down with swords of fire that is why Jesus said very clearly I do not come here to bring peace but to come to bring a dividing sword between righteousness and unrighteousness Jesus has not changed one word of the Bible and that is why we must understand that to re- restore means to seek <laughs> that which is lost, and to bring it back to the fold. One of the first things that I had to do in my personal life, and I I wrote a lot of things down, but I'm just going to get personal tonight. The first thing I had to do was tell my mother and my father, I am sorry. And I want to do everything in my power to restore in you a trust in me. My father sits in the back row tonight, and I know I cannot take away what I had done. I can't make it undone. And so I ask God to restore that which has been devoured, that which has been uh, destroyed. See, David is looking at this and he's speaking of his own experience. He's looking at the blackest and most tragic crises of his life. And he's looking at the crime as his. First adultery, then murder in the heat of passion, but deliberate and cold-blooded. Yet even God did not give up on him. He never left him. He was seeking him until he found him. That gives hope for you. That even after all our defeats and all our failures, we can win. See, there's time ahead of us be just more time. It can be a new time. It can be a greatly different time. We can say we are not satisfied with lean and drab and horrible lives that we are living. We can say that we want to change them for the better through adherence to God, through in God, through belief in God in all aspects of our life. Because I want to tell you the reality of life is that you realize how quickly acts become habits and how habits harden themselves into character that is very stubborn and hard to make difference. It's hard to make your character over. That's why I read this poem and I want you to listen to it because it's about sad approval. It says at 30, man suspects himself to be a fool, knows it at 40, and reforms his plan. At 50, he chides his infamous delay, pushes his prudent purpose to make resolve. But in all the magnanimity of his thoughts, Resolves And re-resolves And then dies the same See that can be life without Christ That can be life without someone substituting for you You tell yourself over and over and over again You're going to change You tell yourself over and over and over again You're going to be better You tell yourself I don't want to be this way But you refuse to stand before God And yet, God stands here as one who stands in a world that's grown old and gray. He stands humbly, he shouts, old things are passed away. Behold, they have become new. And it's true because he restores our soul. I like every head bowed, I like every eye closed touch us tonight. Tonight, I'm not going to hold this long, but if you're sitting in this place and God has revealed to you your sin and you want to repent tonight, God can do a miracle. He can make you born again. That's what the Bible says. It describes the act of being literally transformed by the spirit of